0: Welcome everybody. So great to have you again here at church today. If you're here for the first time, as Caleb mentioned, welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so, so glad that you've come. Make sure you stop by the Connection Center and get that free gift. This is uh, week number four in our series as we walk through a series beyond survival. Uh, Have you ever heard of anybody uh, say, hey, I'm just barely surviving? I heard that this morning in the lobby. Asked somebody how they were doing. They said, you know, kind of surviving. Uh, You know, sometimes it feels like our head is above water, sometimes a little bit below water. One of the things that uh, I want to invite you every week to consider is joining us for our special prayer time every Wednesday night at 530 before the classes kick off right here in the worship center. Last week we prayed for peace in the Middle East and uh, certainly that's just a mammoth uh, thing on our minds right now. But uh, this Wednesday I want us to focus our prayers uh, right up close and personal and focus on praying for our family. Uh, I want you to come pray for marriages, pray for your kids, pray for uh, extended family, and let's just join together and believe God for mighty, mighty things. We've been talking about living life with an attitude that goes beyond survival. We can sink, we can swim, barely tread water out in the middle of the ocean, or we can choose to soar. And God doesn't want us just to sink. He doesn't want us just to barely swim and and tread water. He wants us to soar. He wants more for our life. He wants more for our marriages, more for our families, more for our finances, more for our faith, more for all of our life. He wants us to understand what it means to soar. And so I want us to look at that here today. We've been talking about the waves of life, and certainly waves are a metaphor for life. And we're looking at these nine waves. You know, Sometimes I think it's possible that uh, we think we're, we're too old, you know, uh, you know dreaming dreams and you know, making godly decisions and moving in a godly direction and ending up at a right destination. You know, we're too old. That, that, you know, we're beyond that. Or we might feel like, well, we're too young for that. You know, that's for other people. Or we may feel like we've blown it in life. We've had too many mistakes and certainly God can't help me where I am right now. Well, one of the powerful messages of the book of Jonah that we're studying is it's a message of grace. God treated Jonah with grace and mercy as as Jonah repented and turned back to him. And certainly the whole uh, Ninevites, all the Assyrians that turned to God were uh, rewarded with grace and mercy. We serve a God of a second chance. How many are thankful for that? We serve a God of a second chance. He'll forgive us. He'll, he'll uh, uh, meet us with mercy and, and with grace. But I want you just to think seriously about what we've been talking about, the nine waves of life. It all starts with a dream. God says, I have a future and a hope for you. We are to dream God's dream. We're to reach for God's ideal. We're to uh, live our life toward God's standard and goal for our life. What is the dream you have for your marriage, the dream you have for your kids, the dream you have for your family, the dream you have for your finances, for your education, for your career, for your faith? We, we dream God's dream, and then we make decisions to march toward that dream. And those decisions, godly decisions, lead us in a God-pleasing direction that ends up at a God-honoring destination. And I want us to think about that fourth wave here today, destination, as we continue our series. Destination, where am I headed? Where do I find myself? Faith, marriage, health, relationships, parenting, you know, building your family culture, education, career, all of these and more. Ask yourself, am I on the right track, heading in the right direction, ending up at the right place? Now, some of you want to take care of your health, and I think that's admirable. Don't we all? How how many want to have better health? And so, uh, you know, you have a dream. I want to have better health. You make decisions. You know, my decision is I'm going to lose 20 pounds. That decision leads you in a direction on better, healthier eating so you can end up at the right destination. I was reading this week some really good news that really helped me personally. It says that if a person weighs 200 pounds on Earth, they only weigh 76 pounds on Mars. Did you know that? (laughs) 76 on Mars. That proves, friends, we are not overweight. We just are living on the wrong planet. How many are with me on that? I'm moving to Mars tomorrow. This is the last you'll see me, uh, and that's going to be my new health plan. We need to evaluate where we are in life. So many people don't stop and think about these things. They just kind of go from one thing to the next, and they live by emotion, they live by feeling, and they don't stop and take regular stock of their life. The Bible says, Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and cleanse me from every sin and set me free. The Bible encourages us to take personal inventory of our life, and that's what this series is all about. In Jonah chapter 1... Verse 15 here today, it says, Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Earlier we've read and studied that Jonah was living in disobedience. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. He went to Tarshish instead. He went the exact opposite direction. He wanted to live his life in disobedience to God, really. He didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. He hated the Ninevites. He hated the Assyrians. He didn't want to go there because he knew God would be gracious toward them. He wanted nothing to do with them. At this the men who threw him in feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. Now I know that in chapter 2 Jonah repents. I know in chapter 3 he goes to Nineveh and he preaches the message of grace and the Ninevites, the Assyrians come to faith in God. And then I know that uh, Jonah has a bad attitude in chapter 4. I know about what's to come, but I want us to discipline ourselves right now to think about where Jonah is right now. He is at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish. And I want us to think about how he got there. That's the focus today. Verse number 17, he's swallowed by a fish and he's there for three days. The big fish has consumed him for dinner. Jonah does not have indigestion The fish has indigestion, proven by the fact that he vomits him on the shores of Nineveh in just a a few short verses. As far as Jonah knows, he's about to die. Why he didn't die when they threw him overboard is probably a mystery to him, at least for a while. And what he must have thought when he realized he was in the belly of a whale, think about that for a moment. And he's sure, he's got to be sure that this isn't going to end well. I am going to die soon enough. But I want you to think about it for a little bit. What led Jonah to this destination, being at the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish? Did he have a God dream? No. Did he make godly decisions? No. Did he move in a God-honoring direction? No. Did he end up in a God-pleasing destination? Absolutely. Absolutely. No. There's a, there's a theme there. Did you notice that? He had an anti-God dream. He made poor decisions that moved in a very bad direction and resulted in a terrible destination. Let that sink in a little bit. We will never end up at the right place by living the wrong way. True? We'll never end up at the right place by living the wrong, uh, wrong way. If we're going the wrong way, what do we need to do? We need to turn around. The Bible says repent. What does repent mean? It means turn 180 degrees. You're going this way, boom, turn, go the other way. is going to Tarshish. He should have turned and said, God, forgive me. I'm going to go to Nineveh just like you asked me to. But he didn't. Where we end up in life, our destination is a byproduct of our dreams, our decisions, and the direction that we allow our life to take. A wrong dream plus a wrong decision plus wrong directions will equal a wrong destination. You say, Rob, I know that. That's really easy to understand. And yet when we get in the fog of life, the busyness of life, it's easy to lose God's dream for our marriage, lose God's dream for our family, lose God's dream for our finances, lose God's dream for our faith, lose God's dream for you fill in the blank. And we make decisions we're not proud of and we move in a direction we're not happy about and we end up in a place we wish we never ended up because we didn't stop and carefully evaluate, contemplate the course of our life. Again, let me say this over and over again. If you're here today and you feel discouraged, you feel like I've blown it, I've gone the wrong way, made bad decisions, I want you to know one of the major themes of the book of Jonah is the theme of mercy and grace. God offers it freely and abundantly. Come to him in repentance. Say, God, forgive me. I want to get back on track, moving in the right way, chasing the right dreams, making the right decision, and the Lord will help you. He will strengthen you. That is the God of the Bible. Can I hear a big amen to that? That is the hope we have. None of us get it right all the time. None of us are perfect. It's about progress. Are we moving in the right direction? Sometimes we take three steps forward and two back. Sometimes we take two steps forward and three back. Sometimes it just doesn't go the right way, and we need to come before God and say, God, forgive me. God, help me. So I want you to think rigorously and vigorously today about the course that your life is on your dreams, your decisions, your direction, your destination. Imagine you're new to the state of Washington. You land at SeaTac and you say, I want to go to Portland. And you start driving, 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 and before long, you realize you're in Bellingham. And you say to yourself, this isn't where I wanted to be. This isn't the destination I set out toward. Now, is the right course of action to keep driving north and end up in Vancouver? No. You want to repent. You want to turn around and go the opposite way and drive south for a long, long time, and you'll finally get to Portland. That's where Jonah was at. He was supposed to go to Nineveh. He went the wrong way, absolutely opposite direction. And he wondered why his destination was what it was. Where is change needed in your life, your thought life, resentment, regret, discouragement, disappointment? Where do you need to have the courage to persevere through a really hard time? Maybe there's hidden sin in your life that you need to repent and turn over to God. Maybe you need to get marriage counseling. Maybe there's a harmful relationship that needs attention. Maybe you're experiencing financial chaos because you really haven't organized your financial life around God's game plan. Maybe you've put off a faith commitment or haven't gotten serious about your faith. Where is it you need to make some changes? You need to turn. Each week, I've juxtaposed Jonah with another character in the Bible. Week number one, we talked about Joseph in Genesis. A couple weeks ago, Abraham. Last week, King David. Today, I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. Jonah got a lot of things wrong that Paul got right, and I want you to think about it. Jonah ended up in Bellingham when he was supposed to arrive in Portland. And he was deliberate about it. He said, I want to disobey God. I do not want to do what he's asking me to do. Just think of how deliberate his disdain was for God's plan for his life. He was dead set on running from God. Paul, after he came to faith, was dead set on running to God. Let that sink in a little bit. Paul's aim was altogether different than Jonah's. Jonah should have known better. He was a prophet of God, and yet somehow, way, he thought it was okay to disobey God and just run in the opposite direction. Paul went from being a Christ killer, or Christian killer, Christ killer too in people's lives, a Christian killer, to becoming one of the greatest, best, amazing missionaries of the entire church. He was on the road to Damascus. He had to come to Jesus' moment. He saw a bright light and was blinded. And then he was healed by Christ. And once he could see again, he realized the folly of his ways. And he said, from this moment on, Lord, I want to dream. God's dream. I want to make godly decisions. I want to move in a God-honoring direction. I want to end up at a God-honoring destination. And it's summarized, really, his whole uh, trajectory in life is summarized by this great, great verse in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only, only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. That's what it's all about for me, Paul says. I want to be Christ-centered. I want to be all in in my faith. I want to be all in in honoring Christ at every step of the way. Godly dreams, godly decisions, a godly direction, a godly destination. Jonah, not so much. Jonah wasn't attuned to what he needed to be like Paul was. There are three GPS coordinates that will get you to the right direction. And I want to take the final moments that we have to give these to you quickly and they really jump out to us from Paul's writing in Philippians chapter 3 verses 12, 13, and 14. Here's how Paul got it right and here's how we can get it right too as we think about the dreams, the decisions, the direction and the destinations of our life. How can we get that right? We all want to get that right. We all want to live our best life, amen? Even if the past is in the past, we want the rest of our life, to be the best of our life. So how do we do that? Here's how Paul got it right, and here's how we can get it right. I will make Christ's goal for my life my goal for my life. You see, very simple. I get that. It's simple until we need to step it out day after day after day. I will make Christ's goal for my life my goal for my life. It's no longer like Jonah who had his own ideal. Now it's all about Christ's ideal for me. Not that I've already obtained all of this, Paul said, or I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. He said, I want what Christ wants. I'm in with what Christ wants for my life. I want to dream his dreams and make godly decisions and move in a godly direction and end up at a a godly place. That's what I want to do. Paul's goal was Christ's goal for him. Godly dreams, godly decisions. There's a book that has become a classic. No doubt you've read it. If you haven't read it, you've heard about it and probably read excerpts. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by by Stephen Covey. And habit number two means uh, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. You know, it kind of runs a little bit contrary to a a statement you hear a lot, live in the moment. And I get that. Be present where you are. That's true too. Two things can be true at the same time. This is maybe a different perspective and it says, you know, where do you want to end up in life? Now step back to the present and decide how you're going to live to make sure you end up there. In fact, Stephen Covey goes on to say, you know, this is a, another way of talking about a personal vision statement. He says, if you don't make a conscious effort to visualize who you are and what you want to, uh, in life, then you invite other people and circumstances to shape your life by default. You know, that word visualize, we might say, you know, God's dream or God's plan or God's ideal or God's purposes for my life. I, I need to really focus on that. We might say it a little bit differently. And one of the best ways to do this, I believe, is for us to take time To evaluate our life and to write out, literally write out, type out, a personal mission statement. Many of you have done this. Many of you have done this. But if you haven't, I want to encourage you to take time to evaluate where you are and where you want to go. I was probably a freshman, maybe a sophomore in college, when somehow I stumbled upon the idea that I needed to write out a personal vision statement. And so I out, wrote out eight principles that guided my life. And, you know, I started out by, by using words that started with P so that I could remember them. You know, I had the prayer principle, and I had the priority principle, and the purity principle, and the passion principle, and the perseverance. You've got to persevere through the tough times of life. And I had eight principles that guided my life. And, and then as time went on, I, I, I wanted to remember it a little bit better. And so I, I, I developed kind of a similar thing using the word compass, C-O-M-P-A-S-S. What is a compass? It's a device that determines direction. And for me, it was Christ is is my due north. You know, everything's got to be about Jesus Christ. And and I need to overcome, and and marriage and family needs to be a really, really big priority. and, and, And I need to have passion in life. I need to be passionate about my faith and passionate about my family and passionate about my work. I need to have a godly attitude. That's the A. And, and I need to, uh, uh, you know, live out and, 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 and put to use my spiritual gifts and live a life of, of Christian stewardship. And I put scriptures to each of these points on my mission statement. I want to encourage you to do that. You maybe have already done it, but, uh, but if you have, take a fresh look at it and see if it's still what it needs to be. If you haven't done it, would you do that this week? Just take some time and write out a personal mission, vision statement. And then, over time, put some scripture to it. Anchor it deep in God's Word. If we want to get to where we want to go, we need to live that life here today. If you don't make a conscious effort, Stephen Covey says, you're not going to get there. You need to have a clear vision of your desired direction and destination, he says. And then continue by flexing your proactive muscle to get there. Interesting. What would happen if we applied that more to our marriages? What would happen if we applied that more to our families? What would happen if we applied that more to our faith? What if we applied that to our relationships, to our finances, on and on? If we took the time to be more thoughtful and more uh, contemplative. Jonah didn't quite get this, at least up to the point in the story you are now. Paul certainly understood how to ride the wave of destination. And he made decisions along the way. It helped him get there. The second GPS coordinate I want us to think about here is I will learn from the past, but I won't live in it. Think about that for a moment. I will learn from the past, but I won't live in it. That's one of the powerful things of Paul. He learned from the past, but he didn't live there. He could have been taken down. He could have sunk in the deepest ocean with regret for how he used to kill Christians. I mean, his regret could have been foreboding and overwhelming and sunk him lower than you could imagine. But he learned from the past and he didn't live in it. Let that sink in. I've repeated that uh, by design about four times already. Where do I need to learn from the past and not live there? I think Satan wants us always to look back at our faults and mistakes Christ wants us to look forward with hope. Notice what Paul says about it. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I strain toward what is ahead. He didn't live in the past. He learned from it, and his focus was forward. He leaned into the future. Imagine applying that to the areas of your life that you're thinking about right now. In the study guide that I put together, I put a bunch of categories where we can apply this. And you can find that study guide uh, online if, if you didn't get one a few weeks ago. Jonah should have followed this advice, but he didn't. Paul did. Listen, past failures and regrets can be painful and difficult. They can sink us. We could barely tread water. It's like a weight around our ankle. Or we can give them to Christ and say, Lord, set me free. He who the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. I can be liberated by Christ and I can let the past be part of my past and not pull it into the future. Where do you need to give your past to Christ? Where do you need to turn it over to Him? Notice the Scripture here. Paul was properly related to his past. Forget what is behind He was properly related to the present. I press on toward the goal. Paul was properly related to his future. Excuse me, straining forward, and then finally, I press on toward the goal. Each of these are crucial. They're crucial. Think about it for a moment. Your past can hold you hostage. I know there are many within the sound of my voice say, that's me. Your present can overwhelm you. (laughs) I know for sure there's a lot of people saying, Right now, I'm facing some really overwhelming stuff. Your future can create immense fear and anxiety. If you spend time thinking about all the problems and troubles that can happen in the future, that will sink you faster than you can imagine. I need to trust in Christ. I learn from the past. I don't live there. I need to be properly related to my past, my present, and my future. Paul got that right. Jonah? Jonah didn't. Finally, I will keep my eyes on the prize. What does Paul say? I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. How many are thankful that we can be forgiven? How many are thankful we can experience God's mercy and grace? How many are thankful that one day we can spend eternity with him? where there's no pain or no fear or no anxiety. That's the hope we have in following Jesus Christ. This life might be challenging. It might be full of troubles. But one day, this life is going to be behind us, and we're going to spend forever and ever and ever. Did I say forever? I mean forever in heaven with Christ. I press on toward the prize. I press on toward the prize. I need to keep my eyes on the prize. And friends, that takes discipline. That takes perspective. That takes spiritual maturity because life around us can really get us down, but we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes on the prize. Jesus is the prize and he offers heaven as the prize. Paul practiced what he preached. He put this into practice. Jonah pressed on toward his own goal. It's an amazing tale of two men, Jonah and Paul. I want to illustrate it by giving you a tale of two other men as I wrap things up here today. Maybe you've read about it. I read about it in a book, The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. It's an interesting book, but the stories are so interesting. Really, it's, it's a book that tells a lot of short stories about how people behave regarding money. But this story, this illustrates how two men set out in life, and experienced two totally destinations because they dreamed different dreams, they made different decisions that moved them in a different direction, so that there was really no question why they ended up at a different destination. Let's take the first guy. The first guy's name is Ronald Reed, a janitor. Nothing pejorative about janitors, but when I share a little bit about the other guy, you'll notice. The difference. Here's what it says about him in some Wikipedia entries. It says, Ronald James Reed was an American philanthropist, investor, janitor, and gas station attendant. Which of those words don't go together? He was the first person to graduate from high school in his family, and it made it all the more impressive that he had to hitchhike to school every single day. Not much else to mention about him. He was about as low-key and bland as they come. He fixed cars at the gas station for 25 years, swept floors at JCPenney for another 17 years. He bought a two-bedroom house for 12K at age 38, and he lived there for the rest of his life. He was widowed at age 50 and never chose to remarry. And one of his friends said his favorite hobby was chopping firewood. Isn't that a glamorous life? Amazing. He died at age 92 in 2014, which is when this humble rural janitor made international headlines. I missed this. Maybe some of you caught it. I only learned about it from the book. It goes on to say that 2.8 million Americans died in 2014, the same year that, that Reed died. But fewer than 4,000 of these 2.8 million had a net worth of over $8 million when they passed away. He gave $2 million to his stepkids and another $6 million to the local hospital and library. There was no secret, no lottery, no inheritance. He just... Worked hard, saved hard, invested in stocks. He went from janitor to philanthropist. A few months before Ronald Reed died, another name, another man by the name of Richard, was in the news. This guy was highly educated, a Merrill Lynch executive with a, a very flashy MBA. He was everything Ronald wasn't. successful career in finance that he retired from in his 40s to become Philanthropist. In fact, a former Merrill Lynch CEO, David Komansky, praised him for his business-savvy leadership skills and sound judgment and personal integrity. He was in Crane's Business Magazine in the 40 Under 40 uh, section listing successful business people. But then everything fell apart. In the mid-2000s, Foscone borrowed heavily. To expand an 18,000-square-foot home in Greenwich, Connecticut that had 11 bathrooms, that should be enough, two elevators, that should be enough, two swimming pools, that's enough, seven garages, that's enough, cost him more than $90,000 $90, a month to maintain. How many spend $90,000 a month to maintain your house? I want to get better acquainted with you. God's got a plan for your money, and so, I mean, your life, and so do I. <laughs> Then the 2008 financial crisis hit and it hurt everybody, but turned Fascone into dust. High debt, illiquid assets left him bankrupt. He told a bankrupt judge, I currently have no money, no income. First he lost his Palm Beach house, foreclosed. Then the Greenwich Mansion, foreclosed. And he ended up with absolutely none, nothing. Two stories. Two different destinations. Wealth and generosity greed, and bankruptcy. How did they get there? How did they get there? I submit to you, one person navigated the waves of life well. The other did not. In some ways, it's not really that big of a mystery how they ended up at such different places. Dreams, decisions, directions, and destination. It's true in this illustration of finances, but it's also true in our marriage, in our relationships, our family, our finances, our faith. Our faith. As we look at the axiom again, wrong dreams and wrong decisions and wrong direction, equals a wrong destination. The opposite is also true. God's dream plus godly decisions plus God-honoring direction results in a God-intended destination. Where are you on the journey? Where would you like to be? It's clear where God wants you to be. Are you willing today to commit your life to Christ? Maybe you're here today and you've not committed your life to Jesus and you've been kind of trying to just make it through life on your own. But, but something in this service has kind of sparked your thought and, and you've something in your heart. That's God speaking to you. And he's encouraging you to make a decision today to put God first. to just, just simply pray a prayer that I'm going to lead us in in just a moment. Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to start dreaming God's dreams, make God-honoring decisions that move me in a God-honoring direction and end me in the right location, the right place, the right destination. Maybe you've known the Lord in the past, but you've kind of slipped away, but you need to recommit. Maybe you find your life going to Portland via Bellingham and you need to repent, turn, and get moving in the right direction. Maybe it's not your faith, but maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's not your marriage, but maybe it's your finances. What, what's the area in your life where you're off track? The good news, the beautiful news, the hope-filled news is we all, every single one of us, can get back on track today. Amen? Amen. And Jesus loves you. He loves me. He loves all of us more than we could ever know. He's a God of a second chance, a second opportunity. Would you bow your hearts and heads with me as I pray? Lord, I thank you for every single person that's here. Everybody here is so important to you. Lord, you love and value every single individual, every single marriage, every single family, every single parent, every single child, every single young person, every grandma, every grandpa. God, you love and value every single one of us. And you have a dream for our life. And that dream requires we make God-honoring decisions, move in the right direction, to end up at the right destination. God, I pray that you'll work in every one of our hearts, every one of our lives in these couple of moments as we prayer and contemplate and kind of evaluate where we are on the journey. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask a question before we move on. How many would say, Pastor Rob, I need to get serious about my faith? Maybe you need to accept Jesus Christ for the first time, or maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ. Maybe you've been kind of wandering, sojourning out in the desert of life, so to speak, and you need to really make a fresh decision to uh, commit your life to Christ. Would you raise your hand? No one looking around, just between you and the Lord. Just lift your hand, hold it high. I want to commit my life to Christ. I want to make him first in my life. Just hold it there for a second. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Lord, you see these hands, prayers of faith commitment, prayers of consecration, prayers of a new decision. Lord, sometimes we need to make a new decision. We're locked into going one direction, we need to make a decision to move in a different direction. We need to turn like Paul did. We need to turn like Jonah didn't. So today, Lord, I pray with those that just lifted their hands and others who are making that decision online and maybe others who are thinking about it even now. Lord, I pray that as we commit our lives to you, you will come into each of our lives and forgive us of our sins and give us the strength to get back on track and to follow you and serve you with our whole heart. Just pray that prayer, friend, if you raised your hand a moment ago or, or, or wanted to and didn't get around to it. Just pray, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. I want to live out God's dreams, making godly decisions, moving in a God, honoring direction, ending up in a God-pleasing destination. With every eye closed and every head bowed just for one more moment, How many would raise your hand and say, Pastor Rob, I'm going through a really, really challenging season right now and I need God's wisdom and God's help and I need God to rebirth His dream and His future in my heart and my life. Would you raise your hand all over this place? You already know Jesus is your Savior, but you've got some stuff going on and you just need a fresh, fresh touch of God in your life and in your situation. God bless you. Lord, you see these hands as well and you know every story, every story God, I just pray that you will wrap your arms of love around each and every individual, not only that raised their hand, but, but everyone that's here, and just remind us, God, that you care more about us, more about our story and journey than we could ever know. Lord, I pray your blessing upon each one here today as we get ready to leave this place. May we go in the grace of God. May we live our lives to fulfill God's dream and God's hopes and God's future for each of us. And we pray it in your precious name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite us to stand. We're going to sing a closing song. As we do, our prayer team is going to come forward. We'd love to pray with you. If you uh, raised your hand for one reason or another, come forward. We'd love to pray with you about that here today. Uh, In a moment, we'll be dismissed. Let's hang in here for a moment. Our uh, tradition service and online services will uh, host pastors will lead those. Let's sing together.